Cheatsies. As with me, as always, is one Mr. Brand Luis. We've got a very special guest today. To some people, he needs no introduction, but being a host of a podcast, I'm going to have to introduce him. And I'm going to introduce him in one of the only ways I know how I'm going to enter my track PA announcer voice and enter this young man sitting before us here, Brandon. So here is our next guest. He's driving the number 11 out of St. Charles, Missouri, Missouri, McKay Corporation, Lucas Oil, Hoker Trucking, Night Owl Design, Clements Racing Powered Longhorn Chassis. Ladies and gentlemen, let's hear it for one, Gordy Gundaker. <laughs> Gordy, thank you so much for being with us. I don't think I hold a sword to James Essex or any of them guys, but I figured I'd give that a shot because got to bring in some way right yeah absolutely no no i thought it was great you know it's uh that's what we live for right that's what we why we do it right so we can hear our names names called out like that over over the pa <laughs> and as i mentioned gordy gunder a dirt late model I'll, i'm gonna call you a superstar because there's a, a a pretty damn good resume sitting here in front of me that i found on gordy gundaker 2016 fifth in the ump summer nationals held tour points 2017, you finished third. 2018, you finished seventh in that UMP Summer Series. Huge wins in that 2018-19 series. You won the coveted Herald Review 100. And for people that don't, the Hell Tour is just that. It's hell. And we'll get into more of that in a second. But winning that Herald Review 100 and doing it in back-to-back -back years, you are the third driver in UMP Summer Nationals history to do that in the Herald Review 100. A couple big names ahead of that, Shannon Babb and one Bobby Pierce. But first things first, what's it like to win that race at Macon Speedway, 100 laps, and you're wrestling a 800, 900-horsepower machine around that little bull ring? Uh, it's, dude, it's chaos. It's, uh, you know, it's what's crazy about Macon is you just, you get in this realm of you're just making circles. And, you know, in the infield there is the, the lap counter is up all the way up to the top, right? So they got a little scoreboard there in the middle and you can you can kind of see it if you got a little bit of time to glance to your left. Problem is, you know, making at the time it was a little bit older speedway, a couple of light bulbs are out the scoreboard. So you don't know if you were seeing 38 or 88. And to be honest, <laughs> I couldn't tell you any different, um, you know? So, uh, but yeah, to win those races was uh, was a blast, uh, but it wasn't didn't come easy by any means. And it's funny because I can still, think back now to how I got both of them. You know, I know the first one, we were really good, just kind of rode around. And actually me and me and Brian Shirley got in the lap traffic right next to each other. And it was just like, I don't even know how you'd explain it. Cause we had really nowhere to go. We had lap cars all in front of us and kind of all over the place. And he ended up breaking an axle actually. Uh, I always tell him anyways, I was going right on by. So it didn't matter if he broke an axle or not, but um uh, yeah, so that one, obviously, that was the, the first one was great. Then the next one, I feel like probably is going to go down in the history books as one that most will never forget. Uh, it's like uh, D-Swab always calls it the Herald and Review 101. So, uh, you know, that was the year I snookered Bobby on the on the last restart. And, uh, you know, it was like I didn't even know what was happening, if to be completely honest, because my race receiver wasn't working. So I thought the race was over. I was just happy I run second because I really didn't feel like I was all that good that night. And then we're just kind of riding around a racetrack and Bobby started to pull into scale and then pulled back on the racetrack. And I'm like, I had no clue. And then I couldn't hear anything. And Shirley left the gap, 
you know, riding there under yellow. And so I'm like, well, I must have been in front of him. So I line up behind him and then we go green and I pass Bobby and <laughs> you know, won another one. So, um, yeah, it was a, it was a wild time. I, we celebrated that one pretty big. You would have thought we won the world 100, not the Herald review one. <laughs> you probably would have much preferred that world 100 paycheck, but <laughs> yeah. And and looking at those wins, it, it must be something with you and those shorter tracks because 2017 Gateway Dirt Nationals, you won a prelim night, another huge deal in the world of dirt track racing. And my, I don't know if my research is 100% correct here, but that was your first win of 5,000 or more. Is that correct? Yep, that's right. Yeah, that was our first, that was our first big win, you'd say. And that whole ordeal, the Gateway Dirt Nationals, A, it's a really, really cool event. But a guy like you, you're a showman, and anybody that watches dirt track racing, they know what went on. We're not going to beat a dead horse with <laughs> a guy from uh, West Virginia. But what what's it like being in that dome and Gordy being Gordy, and you can be yourself and be the showman, and people just go ape shit. Yeah, you know, that's – I feel like that's – you you hit it right on the head. You know, I get to – I'm always myself, mind you, that place just brings more of it out of me because in that, you know, in that atmosphere, you, you're, you're there to, we're there to put on a show. Don't get me wrong. It's not that we're not racing and we're not there to make money or, you know, you know, be there for our sponsors and other things, but that race is truly for the fans more than it is the racers. Um, and so it's all about entertainment. You know, it's, it's a one of one event. I've always said that, you know, at the end of the day, if you've never been to the Gateway Dirt Nationals, you better go before we don't ever have it for some reason, you know, because you, there is nothing like it. There is no atmosphere like it. There is no racetrack like it. There is, um, you know, the tensions are way higher for whatever reason in that building than any other place that we go to across the country. And, and yeah, we're racing for 30,000 on Saturday night, but it feels like we're racing for 5 million. You know, it's just the way our, we, we act about it. But I just, you know, I, I feel like that's just that race was made for me uh, because it's in my hometown. You get all those people there, and you know, you got people that have been in the stands for eight, nine hours, hammered. You know, they've been there all day having a great time, <laughs> and they're they want to see a show. They want to see if people crash. They want to see people get out. They want to fight each other and be mad about it. That's what they want, and they want to see when you win that you're excited that you get to be the one in victory lane in front of them. So. Um, I've been on both ends of those clearly. Um, uh, and I think both times I played them up, you know, to be expected, I guess you'd say, you know, I made sure to do my due diligence <laughs> for the fans when I did it, but, but it wasn't, I wasn't just playing it up for the fans. It's truly how I felt. That's how I am I'm an emotional guy when it comes down to it. And that's just the way it goes, you know, and, and I, anybody that knows me knows that's how I always am. I don't sugarcoat it for nobody, but uh, I just, I'm an emotional guy and, and uh, I'm not afraid to show it off. And kind of sticking with that, being a showman, I, I remember a couple instances with the world of, I do believe it was World Outlaws at uh, your mom and dad's track, which anybody, if you've never been there, highly recommend it. Amazing facility and really good food too. I mean, I'm not yeah. wanting to miss a meal, even if I'm at the racetrack. Um <laughs> But uh, uh, coming down that front stretch where they have the speed the speed view cam or whatever they call it there for World Outlaws, and there a couple cars got tangled up. They go to commercial break on the television broadcast and come back, and all you see is Gordy Gundaker there with a microphone trying to fix the camera and pumping the crowd up. <laughs> yeah, that was that wasn't mom and dad's place. Yeah, I just uh, happened to be going out there and 
I know I actually, I, I think I stole the microphone out of, I think Hannah had it or somebody had it. And I just kind of ripped it out and uh, they were like, Oh no, I don't know if this is good or not, but <laughs> at that point, you know, whatever. So yeah. And you know, it's uh, I just like to have fun. You know, I, I enjoy, I enjoy getting to go, you know, across the country and racing and, you know, I'm blessed to do what I get to do. And uh, at the same time, I love to have some fun and enjoy it. You know, the, especially with the fans, you know, that's the people come out and spend their hard earned money to come see us. They don't want to see some to me. I, I know I don't, if I go to race, I don't want to see some dud get on the microphone. You can barely understand him, and he's barely talking loud enough. You know, that's just, for me, it's all about, you know, putting on a good show for the fans at the end of the day. And you talk about going back and forth across the country, 2022, you threw your hat into the ring uh, to the world of outlaw case construction world of outlaws touring series. You finished seventh, in points that season third in rookie points and followed that up with a 13th place finish in 2023 what what made you decide that you're like and i want to do a national touring series yeah i mean it's something obviously that every one of us you know that races always dreams about or talks about doing and um you know really we were sitting there at the end of 21 we had no intentions of doing it going into the month of october november really um you know, and then uh, they kind of announced their schedule and looked at, you know, where they were going to be. And and it had a lot of Illinois tracks, a lot of Midwest stuff that they were going to be hitting, which was different from where they had been. Um, you know, they were they were kind of all over the map and their schedule didn't make a lot of sense in 21. And um, then, you know, we, we look at the schedule and um, good buddies with Casey Schumann. I've known him a long time. And he was, he was kind of busting my balls about why don't you run a national tour? You know, you're talking about being a race car driver. You're not out on a tour. And, uh, and it was funny. We just happened to be sitting at mom and dad's house one night. And if anybody knows anything, my dad was the race car driver. My mom is the reason we race. So she is the one that pushes us to, to go racing more. And, and I is, is the one that, you know, is always making sure we have everything we've got, you know, that we need. And um, she said, why don't we run the, run the outlaw tour? And, you know, I mean, I lit up like a Christmas tree because that's all I've ever wanted to do. And, um, you know, at the time I've been really fortunate, Jeff Hoker and Hoker trucking came on board, um, with me. Um, you know, I'd had a couple of great sponsors, McKay, McKay and Apple auto parts have been with me a long time. And when I mentioned to it, to them, they were tickled to death that we were going to go do it. So it just, kind of just worked out where we just decided we were going to go on the road and, and uh, decided we were going to go down to Volusia and, and give it a shot. We really, we really didn't know at the time what we were kind of getting into, but I knew that I wanted to be out there racing with the best guys and that was what we were going to do. And so everything just kind of happened, you know, we, the month of December started, started working on race cars and, you know, we ran the dome and then two weeks later we were headed, headed South. So and this run a national touring series, obviously it's not a four or five day vacation where you just go somewhere and have a good time. You've got a big toter home with a stacker trailer, couple cars up there, rear ends, spare engines. Lord knows how many spare parts I've never raced. So I don't know. I mean, I've, I have a little bit of history in the sport and I know you got to have a lot of stuff, but like, how do you prepare when you're going on the road, like going to Volusia, you're going to be down there for the speed weeks for two and a half, three weeks. How do you prepare for that as a driver? Well, I mean, the biggest thing is, is, and if any, if you talk to any good race car driver, what they'll all tell you is that races are one in the shop. They're not one on the racetrack, you know, and 
And it's the truth because if you go down to Volusia where there's 60 race cars every night and you're not prepared in the race shop, you know, you're never even going to come close to lining up. And that's just the way it works. And so really it, it just, it's square, you know, you start at square one, you know, um, you just try to get everything you can lined up um, as far as getting all your, getting all your parts, getting all your motors, having your motor program correct. And, and, you know, just long, it's long days in the shop, um, you know, fine tuning on things. And, um, you know, then as a, as a driver going down there, it's, you know, you, you just have to be in the mindset. You got to be confident going in there. And if you don't have confidence in this sport, it's, it kills you because there's 50 other guys who have confidence. And if you're lacking some going into it, well, you're already defeated going into it. So, um, I, I believe if we're in the pit area, every one of those guys, if you ask them, they believe they're the best guy in the pit area that night. And if they don't, they, you know, they're probably not going to win. So, um, it's just one of those deals, you know, at the end of the day, um, uh, my dad taught me a long time ago about, you know, being prepared in the race shop and, um, how to really work hard. And, and if you, if you give, give 110 in the race shop, um, the rest kind of works itself out, right? You know, if you have the ability and, and good people behind you, you find a way to win races or at least be near the front of them to have a shot at it. And circling back to your dad, he raced for a long time. I remember watching him when I was a young guy. What kind of things, when you were going out on the road, what kind of things did he teach you other than, you know, you do your work in the shop and it'll pay off on the racetrack? But did he give you anything that, like, maybe expectations to have being out on the road? I got a lot of ass chewings for the dumb stuff I did. I know that much. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, he's, I tell you what, um, he, and he always reminds me that he'll forget more than I'll ever know. Uh, and it's the truth, you know, but, but in the, at the end of the day, you know, he wants nothing but the best for, you know, for me and for Trevor. And, um, you know, he's always been there to do some coaching um, in a sense. And at times it's, you know, when I was probably 22, 23, I didn't listen as much. And I wish I would have listened more because I was a stubborn kid and thought I knew everything. And, you know, that's just kind of the way it goes. But, you know, he just, he has so much knowledge when it comes to racing because, you know, he used to not, not only did he race, you know, race cars, he built cars, you know, and I mean, he raced with some of the best guys in our sport that they'll ever see and and beat a lot of them. You know, he didn't win over 300 features for no reason. So, um, you know, the biggest thing with him is that he can watch a race car go around the racetrack and give you good information just based off that, you know, he can relay, uh, Hey, you know, you're probably entering a car too low or, you know, we probably need to, you know, get the nose down a little bit the nose looks like it's up in the air or it looks like it's laying over which is hard for a lot of guys to see and understand it and, and be able to relay that um because it's just it's not easy but um to have to have dad around all the time is is uh pretty special you know and it shows at times when we go on the road and he's not able to go with us you know there's a lot of times i wish he would have been there uh but you know it's just part of the part of the game um uh, but yeah it just just thankful to have him you know, be there for my entire career. And actually, I have a funny story about your dad. Well, it involves your dad. So several years ago, I want to say this was like 2000, 2001. Your dad was in that modified. Back in those old days, I helped Don Hammer. And there was a three-day modified ordeal over a holiday weekend. I can't remember what holiday it was, but it was Friday night at Farmer City, Saturday in Boswell, Indiana, 
and then Sunday afternoon in Danville. So we were in Boswell, Indiana. That's out absolutely out in the middle of nowhere. And Don didn't make the show. They had probably 85 modifieds there, which is par for the course for modifieds, right? So your dad was like two two pit areas down from where we were. So Don goes, hey, I'm going to pull the truck out to the front gate. So when we go to leave, we can just get right on out. Okay, cool. So I was just sitting there having a conversation with your dad about a third of a mile down the road from where the pit gate was. I mean, it was way back. So I'm talking to your dad and I look up and I just see Don and his pickup truck go flying by. And I just looked at your dad. I'm like, shit, Kevin, I got to go. And I take off running because I'm, you know, I mean, back then we didn't have cell phones. That's, that's actually a story that Don loves to tell. He just thinks it's funny as hell that you have this chubby guy running down this country. (laughs) Chasing his ride. (laughs) Chasing his ride. But we went down uh, to your mom and dad's place for Lucas oil. And every time we meant to go down, there was rain or something because that's just how it works. Right. Mm -hmm. And, your mom was working the ticket window and my wife went up and told her that story. And she's like, you got to tell Kevin that and see if he remembers. So my wife tracked down your dad and was telling him that story. And he thought it was just funny as hell. But yeah, <laughs> that, that is one thing I remember is just, yeah. Cause that was that uh, better home and gar- better homes and gardens car that he used to yep. run way back when. Oh yeah. Yep. Probably the, probably the white one with the purple and orange all over it. Yep. Long time ago. Um, so last summer, you also got a little bit of dipping your toes in the Mars series. Um, you won at Federated Auto Parts Raceway, I-55, Peebly, Missouri. But the uh, that Mars series, you entered three events with a win and three top five finishes. Hitting a regional series like that when you're on a national touring series, and maybe you don't have the level of competition that you have at that national series, does that kind of give you a, a bit of momentum going into your next outlaw race or whatever next national series race you're going to hit? Yeah, I mean, it definitely does. Um, but it, it, what's funny is, you know, it, it, those Mars races is, you know, we go to them, they're either at Peebly or Fairbury or Farmer City or those races. And and it's like, you don't have the the names per se, in a sense, you know, you don't have a Jonathan Davenport or you don't have Ricky Thornton Jr. But when you try to go into Fairbury or Farmer City and race these guys at their own track, that sometimes is harder than racing on a national tour because them guys will bust your ass and you will have no idea why. And you will go home with your tail between your legs. And it happened to me, you know, plenty of times and been pretty fortunate now. I feel like over the last probably four or so years, um, we've really any of the Illinois tracks, uh, I would say that, you know, dark dirt, you know, um, stuff we just seem to excel at, you know, that kind of fits my driving style, that bull ring, get it on type deal just kind of works out. And um, yeah, we ran together a couple of good runs there. And um, you know, I know we won that race at Peebly. And then the next week after that was, was Fairbury. And we just had bad luck that whole weekend because I broke on Friday night running third and then started at the tail of the field on Saturday night, took a provisional and drove like 28th to sixth and then broke a rear end with 20 to go, you know? And, and so we were still confident though, because we come off that win and, and, you know, that kind of gets the morale going because being on the outlaw tour, man, you run 10th, 11th, 12th, um, you know, a few times and you feel like you suck, but you really don't because everybody that's on that tour is good. But 
you just want to, you feel like you want to win a race or run top five somewhere. And then you go, you go home and, and win one. It's like a swift kick in the ass. Everybody gets, you know, recharged up and then you go at it again. So, um, and that, that really happened for us. You know, we were struggling right there on uh, that middle part of July, just wasn't, and things weren't really going our way. You know, we had broke a few times, had some bad luck. We went home, you know, that was right around the time uh, my daughter was born. And then I won a race two weeks later and it was like, all's good now. Second half of the season, let's get going. So um, yeah, you know, it, it is good to get wins. Obviously we all want to win races. Uh, you know, I had, I had been in a dry spell there for a couple of years, hadn't won a race. Uh, but I mean, we were on the road racing national tour races and, um, uh, they're not easy to win. So it was good just to, to remind myself that I can find a way to victory lane still, uh, you know, and, and give a, really give my sponsors a shout out. Uh, it was funny. I got in victory lane and I wore the damn PA out. Cause I just stood there and made sure I got every sponsor possible uh, on there uh, except one. I did miss one because I had just put a new left side on that thing. And I put an extra sticker on when I put his on and I forgot it. And I, I'll tell you what, I got my ass chewed for that one. <laughs> so yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty good. Oh, Bob Mitchell. So hopefully he sees this and because I always told him, I said, I'll, I'll never forget it for the rest of my life because I screwed it up that night in victory lane. Well, that's what you just said that. And I just realized I, I missed one as well. Cause I had first form down here too. Yep. Yep. Got it there on my sheet in front of me. I missed one too. Out of, out of all these racetracks you've been to from Volusia to uh, out West, uh, uh, Fargo, those places, what's your favorite track that you go to? Um, my favorite overall is, is Fairbury. Um, you know, for sure. Uh, for, for many reasons, but I just, you know, when I first went to Fairbury, we went for the summer national race 2016. Um, I it didn't make the race out of the, out of the B main, I had to take a provisional came back for a, a race later in the fall. Didn't make the race came back in 2017. Didn't make the prairie dirt. I mean, I just was like, I couldn't figure this place out and it was making me so mad because I'm like, man, this, this should be right up my alley. Um, and then we come back in 2019, I think it was made the PDC, made the PDC in 2018 and 2019. And then I won that summer national race there in 2020. And from then on out, it's like, I could just always go there and run good. I just, for whatever reason, it's like, it fits my style. And I love the, I love the people there. I love the atmosphere there. And, you know, when that racetrack is right, you know, it's as good as it gets. And I feel like probably, probably a lot of people would expect me to say my mom and dad's track, but I actually don't like my mom and dad's track at all because I can never win there. Can't do it. <laughs> I run second a million times. I've broke leading. I've run over lap cars have crashed me. I mean, everything you could think bad could happen while leading a race has happened to me there. Uh, and so that place is, for whatever reason, I can't win one. Hell, I was damn near going to win a MLRA race a couple of years ago, caught a lap car, and he decided he wanted to move up right as I went to pass him. And my damn little brother passes me and wins the race. So then, you know, that was just like, all right, this, this is just not meant to be here. So, uh, but there's a lot of really, really good racetracks I've been to and a lot. I really enjoy Fargo is one of my, you know, is a great one. Grand Forks up there, um, is another good one that, that I really like. obviously making speedway fits me, but 
Atomic um, out there in Ohio. I really like going there. It was probably my favorite stop uh, on the Outlaw Tour that we went to. Um, Port Royal Speedway. Uh, if I wish it wasn't 14 hours for me to go out there because I would go out there a lot more uh, because that place is one of the you know best facilities in the country, but the racetrack there is awesome. It's a big high-speed joint, but slicks off, and you got to be a race car driver come feature time. And I'm going to circle back to that uh, Summer Nationals win in 2020. You didn't just win that race. You owned that sucker. <laughs> I mean, because you started 14th. Yeah. And I, because, so I was at that race and I remember, you know, I remembered bits and pieces of that race coming out of COVID. There were some guys there that are pretty big names. And you oftentimes have that on the Summer Nationals tour, but you started 14th and you passed Shannon Babb like he was standing still with four to go. And I actually watched the replay earlier today because my wife's like, what on earth are you watching? I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to regenerate this because I knew we, we'd, it would be a point we'd talk about. But with four to go, and I always have to remind myself when you're watching a race from Fairbury on TV, you're watching from the back stretch, not the front stretch. But yeah, it was like, I think with six to go, you had moved into fourth and Ruben was losing his mind. And then it was like, yeah, you, you had, you had just set sail four laps to go. You pass Bab and you move on for, that's a $10,000 payday. I almost said that $5,000 payday, but that's a $10,000 payday. So I'm going to turn the floor over to Brandon now. So Brandon can get some speaking in here himself as well. Yeah, no, I thought it was great that you mentioned that, the prep work starts in the shop because Josh and I both being broadcasters, right? We talk about how much we prep for a broadcast, our stat sheets, our research, everything that we do. I mean, to put it bluntly, if you don't do your prep work, your broadcast is going to be shit. So, I mean, I, th I thought that was a really good point. And you had mentioned uh, Fairbury. You know, Josh and I were there, what, last year was it? We had We had met up there last year and I mean, you know, I, I'm a racing fan, but my father-in-law really, really has gotten me into racing, and I thought it was super cool. You know, obviously, with a with a history of your family and racing, was that truly what sparked your love being around the racetrack the whole time? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I just I grew up in it. You know, I didn't know anything different. Um, you know, I obviously I don't remember it, but uh, you know, I was nine days old was the first time I was at a racetrack. Uh, and, and so it's just been part of me since I, you know, was born, we went to every race growing up with dad, you know, if I wasn't, you know, if I wasn't playing ball on the weekends, I was, I was at the racetrack. And then, you know, by the time I was five, we were racing quarter midgets. And, and then from there, it just never stopped. Um, you know, I was fortunate to grow up with a lot of really good friends that are still racing today that, um, you know, we, we not, not only did we enjoy being at the racetrack, but we just, we were, we were good friends, you know, and that makes it a hell of a lot easier because you want to go to the racetrack to see your friends. And then you realize how much you love the sport that we're doing. So, um, yeah, I just, um, you know, I got lucky that mom and dad were, you know, so, so deep into racing because really, if you're, you know, people outside the racing community, I don't think understand how close knit of a group it really is. Um, so once you, once you get inside it, you understand um, it's something that, you know, I'll do, I'll be a part of no matter what for the rest of my life, whether it's, you know, racing, promoting, 
owning a team someday, uh, whatever it'll be. Uh, you know, I, I would say until until they put me in the ground, I'll have something to do with racing. Josh and I mentioned um, off the air prior to the podcast and even last week on the air as well that when you're driving to the rink, Josh, you get that little bit of a dip in your stomach when you uh, when you're crossing the bridge for the broadcast. Is it a same thing for you on race day to where you still get nervous at times for races or has it become like a second nature thing for you that, you know, once the day happens, you're ready to go and ready to fire on all cylinders? Um, I wouldn't say it's really like a in the beginning of the days, it's really a nervous thing. Uh, I would say there are races and times. Uh, anytime you anytime you line up in the shoot at Eldora, um, you have butterflies. That's that's definitely one, no matter what happens. Um, I would say Cedar Lake, the USA Nationals, if you're fortunate enough to be a part of the driver intros, that that always I don't even know if that one's a nervousness deal. It's just an excitement because you're you're rolling out there in the pitch dark and you got all these people around 10, 12,000 people um, ready to go. Uh, the dome always gives you those little butterflies. I would say if you start on the front row of any race, you got them. Um, and I think that's just the racer and the competitive person and everybody. Uh, if you don't have them, I don't know why you're even there because that's kind of what the whole idea is, right? It's like you should be a little – a little nervous or excited for for big races and big moments like that um but once it once you line up once you kind of roll out there uh that all goes out the window you just kind of focus on what you know what you're about to do and the task at hand and uh, but there are definitely times you know i know my first time i ever went to eldora uh if we actually we actually got rained out on the thursday night portion and my first ever qualifying attempt at Eldora was in the was in the daytime, and it was black. Well, it was black slick to a big curb. Come heat race time, and I started on the front row with Josh Richards and Eddie Carrier Jr. And I was fucking nervous. I can tell you that much. <laughs> um, I was nervous. Uh, and uh, right before right before my heat race rolled out, uh, that was back when Jared Landers was running the seven seventy seven, running the Bloomquist car, and uh, and like I said, it was slick to a curb. And if any, if, if you ever been to to a Eldora day race or ever seen one, you know that if there's a curb there, you have to be on it. You can't run below it. And uh, my dad walked over and said, "Well, you're either gonna grow some balls or you're gonna go to the back. So which one's it gonna be?" And uh, I went out there and just hammered on the curb for for ten laps. I led the whole damn thing and got tight one time, and Josh Richards slid me, and then. Uh, that was it. I mean, I ended up, I ended up running second in my heat race and making that show, but you know, I was, I was definitely nervous that day and, and it teaches you a lot in that moment, but it was, uh, it was a pretty cool experience. I'll tell you what, it was, uh, it was an eye opener to what the best race car drivers in the world are really capable of. Yeah. I think I mentioned this last week that I really got thrown into the fire to start this year is dissimilar to Josh and the NA three HL. I'm, one tier up and we start our season at the showcase in Blaine, Minnesota. So it's not even a home rink. It's not a road rink. You're at a neutral site. And after my first game, you know, one of the broadcasting directors, whatever you want to call it for the league says, Hey, you want to call a game tomorrow, an extra game? You want to pick it up? And I said, I need the reps. And then I come in tomorrow and I'm like, well, 
I don't know anything about these two teams. I better get started prepping, and I'm panicking at the ring, trying to look up stats on these teams, where they finished last season, successes before, and all that. So, yeah, no, I, I got thrown into the fire this year, but I think it's worked out for the best as, uh, you know, broadcasts come, they come pretty easy now. Well, I mean, for you, Josh, what would you say, you know, this being your, what, third year now for the Mustangs? For the, so this is my fourth year, but I will say one thing. You and I have trial by fire. Gordy, if he has trial by fire, he could spend a lot more money than us. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're not wrong there. I mean, so to be honest, and and this is just kind of doing a little market research, a Longhorn chassis from Longhorn roller with a body was 48.5. No motor, no transmission. I, I And I think... Don't quote me on that price. I, I saw it on an advertisement for something I do believe. So I think it was either 48.5 or 46.5. But so, yeah. So if Gordy does a little trial by fire, his checkbook can hurt. Yeah. Yeah. It's never fun whenever uh, whenever you hit anything and, and uh, you got to start buying parts and pieces because it racks up pretty quick. And outside of racing, I will say, having talked to you in the pit several times at, at Fairbury and my grandson is a huge Gordy Gundager fan. As a matter of fact, one day over the summer, this past summer, we were told him he was at the house, told him he was going to watch World Outlaws race, and it was 85 degrees outside, and he's wearing his Gordy Gundager hoodie outside. <laughs> because he because we got to get him a T-shirt. That That's the ifs, ands, and buts. We got to get him a T-shirt. But um, looking at that, you're not just a race fan. You're a sports fan in general because you're a huge Blues fan. You're a Cardinals fan. And you've made appearances at Cardinals games and Blues games with uh, Nick Hoffman. I know has been to Cardinals games with you and uh, Kenny Wallace as well. So you've got a nice little entourage of people that you run around with. But you And you and I have talked about it before. Where were you in 2019 when the Blues won that cup? I was, I was in Champaign, Illinois at the time. When they won the cup, um, I was working for my, my, I was managing rental properties for my best friend, actually, that summer. I moved up there and was living and was going to come home for the game, but I refused because we had had good luck where I watched on the couch at his house. So I did not come home because it was, I wasn't ruining it for the home team. So we had actually, I had come back home for game six, uh, tried to get tickets to go, um, but we decided this way late in the game. Uh, and so we didn't end up going, went to a bar right down the road, watched us get trounced in game six. And I was like, well, I'm going back to Champagne because that was not, not good being here. So, uh, but I was home for the parade. I can tell you that much. So, yeah, you've been through that, a Stanley Cup championship with the St. Louis Blues. And obviously with being a Cardinals fan, you've been through the several World Series where I'm a Cubs fan. I've seen one. But kind of like, so you played baseball in college. And what was that transition like coming out, being a college athlete, and then transitioning into a professional athlete, but not in the sport you played in college? Yeah, I think the the hardest part for me was the fact that I was, you know, I was four years behind, you know, right before I went to college, I was racing a bunch, um, you know, while I was in high school. And I just kind of switched over to super late models. That was the same time Bobby had switched into running super late models. You know, he was 14 at the time. I was 18. Uh, we had raced against, grew up racing crate cars a little bit together. 
and then we ran you know we were running supers and um you know i just i wanted to keep racing actually as i ended high school i was kind of ready to to hang it up and and go racing uh because that was just kind of what i had always known that was kind of my idea was that i was going to leave high school and I was going to go start racing and, you know, maybe go to community college around home just so I could race and, and get my degree. And, um, you know, I was pretty fortunate to, you know, um, excel my junior and senior year there in, in baseball and, uh, ended up having an opportunity to go play ball in college. And my, my dad really was the one that pushed me and said, Hey, you know, we can always race. You need to, you need to go play ball. And, um, it was a blast. I'm glad I did, but, you know, when I come out of, of baseball coming back in, I was, like I said, I was about four years behind. I had done a little bit of racing in that four year span, but not as much as everybody else was. So everything had changed, uh, to be honest, uh, as, as far as kind of, you know, where the race cars were just in that four year span. And, and I was keeping up, but I wasn't, you know, racing every day like everybody else was. So it just took me about a year or two to kind of get going again. And then, you know, once I did, you know, obviously we went and ran the summer nationals and, and that really, I feel like launched me back into the game, I guess you'd say. Uh, but the mindset never changed with that. That made it a little bit easier. The competitive drive was always there. So, you know, leaving, leaving baseball, I was just as competitive as ever, you know, when I graduated my senior year. So as soon as we got done, it was like, okay, let's go racing. And I was, you know, I was ready to go try and win some races doing that as well. And being a race car driver, do you ever have people say that being a race car driver, you're not a professional athlete? <laughs> I've never had anybody say it to me. I've heard it. I've read it. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's such a debate that's I feel like has gone on for so long that usually the people that are debating that have probably never done anything athletic in their entire lives. So, you know, they probably don't have much of a grasp of what we really go through inside the cockpit there for, you know, those those A mains that are 50 laps. You know, those those are grueling at times when it's, you know, 105 degrees in the middle of the summer and it's like 125 inside the race car. Like I can promise you nobody wants to be in that spot and, and say that, you know, uh, you know, we're not athletes. But I don't know. It's kind of an in one year out the other deal. It's just we know at the end of the day what it takes, you know, to be a race car driver and to get it done. And, uh, you know, it's not easy. There's a reason that when you look at all the NASCAR guys now that every one of those guys works out, you know, you don't, it's nothing against the guys 15, 20 years ago, but you know, them guys back then, they were, they were just grown ass men, you know, the Dale Earnhardt guys and then Terry Labonis and Mark Barton's like those guys just, they were just born to be race car drivers. They weren't, guys that went and worked out every day they grew up on farms and did things but you know the cars these you know these days were were stuck to the racetrack more you better be on your game if you get in there and you're not in shape it's good you're going to get your ass kicked you're going to fall out of the seat halfway through the race it happens all the time and you listen to guys you know do interviews that say you know that maybe been out of the seat for a month or two they you know it's it's tough just to jump in and say, well, I can go do this. It's not, it doesn't work that way. Nobody that sits in the grandstands every week could hop in and do what we do uh, and do it at a high level if they've never done it. I can guarantee that. Oh, I, 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 I honestly wholeheartedly believe that. Cause you know, that's, you know, I've had people talk when I've been talking about, it, they're like, well, they're not really professional athletes. I'm like, they do it for money, but these guys are, 
men among boys. I mean, they're taking a machine that's operating on 800 to 900 horsepower in a quarter-mile enclosed dirt oval, sometimes bigger, sometimes smaller, and they're controlling it. I mean, you're basically on a rodeo bull, but it's running on race gas. <laughs> yeah, you're, and you're not wrong. And, and some of the some of the racetracks that we've gone to, you know, when you when it gets rough and all those things, trying to manhandle a race car when you're running 100 mile an hour and it's rough and you're bouncing flying through the air and all four tires are off the ground is no easy task. And it's it beats the shit out of you and you wake up and you got bruises from your Hans or your belts or whatever else that would you know holding your holding your ass to the seat. Um, and so it's a it is it, it's a it's a tough game at times you know and there's obviously you know there's times sure when the racetracks are smooth it's um you know that, that we're not getting beat up in there but if you're not 100 percent mentally on your game at the same time you know you're just as much at a at a negative advantage so pretend you're at a place like eldora a bigger track big banking where you can just hold it to the wood and fly around the joint a dirt late model is 2,350 pounds spec weight with driver and seat. Does it feel like it weighs that much or does it feel like you're just driving a feather? I've always wondered that. Going going down the straightaway, it feels like you're a little bit lighter. When you make the left going into turn one and it pulls you to the seat, that feels like it's heavy because the the G-forces and the air moving, you know, it sucks you to the seat. It really does because when you run around Eldora early in the night, you're running 130 mile an hour and you get to the end of the straightaway. Um, and you know, it, when you go off in there and kind of turn left, man, it feels like you're just sucked to the earth and it feels like the whole weight of the world is on you. Um, but when you leave the corner, you feel like a rocket ship because you feel like you're going as fast as you can and you're just floating. So, um, it's a, it's a wild deal. Um, you know, you'd like, Port Royal and, and those, some of those big places, um, it's a pretty wicked feeling, um, you know, when you're really trucking as fast as you are and you make the left and, you know, you get all your grip and it pulls you down into the seat. It's a, like we went to Bristol, that was, uh, that was something, it was a great experience and I'm glad I'll never do it again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm actually glad because that was going to be my next question is the whole ordeal at Bristol and doing that. Cause I'd heard a couple drivers talking after the fact and they were like, yeah, like your foot's down the whole time. You may tap a brake, but you don't necessarily have to. But when they were going into the turns, the one thing that they had trouble with was breathing. Yep. Because you're well, just. Yeah. The, the, the G forces are, are crazy at, at that place. Um, and you know, the first time I went around there, uh, you know, I didn't go the first, the first year they did it, obviously. Um, when they ran the XR stuff and all that there, we weren't there. And um, then, you know, we went back uh, with the outlaw. I think the outlaws went in 21. Um, and then we came back obviously in 22 and me and me and um, JD, our, our good buddies, Jonathan Davenport. And I kind of asked him like, Hey, what the hell do I do here? He said, just put it to the floor and hold on for dear life. <laughs> I thought, all right, easy enough. So, um, and it, it does, it does. It takes your breath away. You hold your breath. When we were qualifying, I know I didn't breathe, um, for sure, because you really don't, you don't even think about breathing, but you are, so you better be so focused because you are going so damn fast and everything is moving at a high rate of speed, uh, going around that place and everything's moving more than it ever has. 
Um, you know, the hood's moving. The, the deck looks like it's about to fall out of this thing. It's it's a pretty wild experience. Man, that, and when you have a guy like Jonathan Davenport say that, you know it's got to be true. Yeah. So one more thing before we part ways here. And watching the uh, speed weeks throughout the last few weeks here down in Florida, your name had came up in a broadcast. You're going to put uh, your hat in the ring for doing some promotions, race promotions. Go ahead and uh, give us the down low on that, and hopefully we can help you fill some seats. Yeah, absolutely. So May 31st, June 1st, uh, we're going to have a race um, out there at Tri-City Speedway, you know, Granite City, Illinois. Um, and it's going to be a it's going to be a big weekend. Um, you know, it's, it's on NASCAR weekend. Um, so, you know, NASCAR races there, obviously on Sunday, our race is Friday, Saturday, it's super late models and, and modifieds. Our purse for the weekend, uh, is over $200,000. Um, and so it's something that I feel like has been a, a big topic of conversation over the last, you know, two or so years, I would say definitely, um, that. You know, the, oh, we got all these races that pay 50000 to win, but they pay 1000 to start or they pay 1500 to start. Um, and, you know, obviously I'm, I'm in I'm in the, the racing world with these guys, with the drivers. And, and we all talk about, you know, how do we fix it or how do we make it better? And my whole my whole idea behind this was, OK, let's make a payout that works for everybody. Let's make it so that it still pays plenty to win, but it pays back. So it's 20000 to win but it pays $5,000 from a 10th. So it's 12,000 12, per second, um, nine for third, eight for fourth, and $7,500 for a fifth. I know there's not a payout like that across the country, uh, and it is a big payout, and I know that it is, and and um, it's something to me that I think we can make work um, and maybe not set the standard. I don't think that needs to be a standard purse. Um, for all the races we go to, but I think there needs to be a little give and take uh, on both sides. You know, I've been fortunate to see what the promoting side looks like with mom and dad be on the racer side, you know, in the pit area with all the outlaw guys. And then as far as like the streaming services go, I'm, I'm great friends with Michael Rigsby and I'm, I'm pumped to say that flow racing um, is going to be airing my race live. Um, so uh, it, it's going to be a great weekend. Um, Overall, Friday night is two five thousand to win late model features, um, and then Saturday is the big race. So, really, if a guy comes in and makes both races, the minimum amount he can leave with is three thousand dollars in his pocket because it's twenty five hundred dollars just to start the race on Saturday night. So, it's uh, I'm unfortunately not going to be racing in it. Uh, I I wish you know I could, but at the same time, you know this is something that that I'm excited about doing and. I've been talking about doing it over the last couple of years and, and Michael Rigsby and I have talked numerous times and this past year, he said, you know, are you really serious about wanting to do this? And, um, you know, I, I said, yeah, I think this is the year. And so uh, I had to sit down with uh, Chris Blair over at worldwide technology raceway. They're, they're co-partnering with us uh, just for the weekend's events. Um, and so we're kind of our schedules are working out together because they've got concerts on Saturday during the afternoon. So our races won't start till seven o'clock on Saturday night. And, you know, the other thing that's great about our entire weekend is that it, it gives back to the fans too. I think one of the things I've seen as I traveled across the country is that the, the general admission prices to get into some of these races are, are steep, you know, and, and I know where the economy's at. Everybody understands that, 
it's uh it's not the cheapest thing to travel and go watch races and that if you pay 150 dollars to for flow or whatever it is now uh that you could sit at home and watch it but i want to you know we'd much rather have people in the seats and so um something i'm you know really excited about is that weekend is that my general admission price uh on saturday night's only 30 dollars so um you know it's 30 dollars on on Friday night or on Saturday night and $25 to get in on Saturday. And then we'll have a pre-sale that if you buy a weekend ticket, it's $50 for $50. You get to see four features, two late, two late model features on Friday, a modified feature and the big show on Saturday. So I don't know where you can pay $50 and see a race like that. Um, but you know, you'll definitely be able to do it at Tri-City Speedway uh, come May 31st and June 1st and see some of the best guys in the country because the outlaws don't race and the Lucas series doesn't race that weekend. So I would imagine we're going to have some, some heavy hitters there and um, you know, it's going to be a great weekend. We're going to have a post party on Friday night uh, after the races. Uh, all the guys are going to have to keep their race cars out for at least an hour uh, is something that I've kind of asked them to do. And I say have to, I think they're willingly going to do it because that's kind of what the idea is, but you know, I just want to make it, you know, a fan environment, you know, as, as most know, I like to, I like to hang out. I like to drink my beer. I like to, you know, mingle with the fans after the races. Uh, so that's what, you know, my race is going to, is going to, you know, show that as well, that, you know, it's, it's about getting the racers paid. It's about putting a good show on, but it's about, you know, getting fans in the stands and not overcharging them and nickel and diamond them for, for what they've got. You know, we appreciate having, having all the fans there and, um, I'm, I'm really excited for it and we're going to have some more news coming about it. Um, March 1st, all the releases, um, driver entries. One of the, one of the things which will be released out is that I'm not charging an entry fee if, uh, if they pre-enter before May 1st. So I don't really know where you can race for, um, uh, 20,000 to win on Saturday and 5,000 on Friday and not pay an entry fee, but you can do it at my race. One more question. I know I said that was going to be the last thing. Nick Hoffman going to DJ that after party? <laughs> I don't know. You know, <laughs> this is this will kind of laugh. You'll laugh about this because Nick, Nick has raced at my parents' place a bunch of times, uh, and he won, you know, mod mod mania and all kinds of different things. And now he he uh, he claims to hate our place. Uh, I don't know when it turned over, and but the best part is I told. him, you know, when I announced I was doing this, I called him and said, you know, I said, it sucks for you that, you know, your your schedule already has a date on it on May 31st and June 1st. And he said, oh, yeah, what's that? And I said, well, as uh, as as my best friend, you have to be there. So you don't really get an option of this. So, yeah, he'll definitely be there. And I would say most likely after the race is on Friday night, we'll we'll be up DJing some music. <laughs> so, fans, if you get the opportunity, I'm going to say watching a race on flow is good but it's not like the experience you're going to get going out to Tri-City Speedway in Granite City, Illinois. Amazing facility. The staff are second to none. I'm going to say my favorite two tracks that I've ever been to in my life is Tri-City Speedway and Fairbury Speedway. A, because the staffs are great people and the facilities are nice, but I've been down to Tri-City. Great facility. And you see, and that's the thing, is you see Tammy and Kevin, they're working. They're working their butts off. And they're doing it for the fan experience. So spend the money, take a handful of cash, pocket full of cash, go down there. And this is going to be a great event. I can assure you of that. But Gordy, I'd like to thank you for your time. Greatly appreciate it. I know you've got a lot of things going on, busy guy. But I'd like to thank you for taking a little bit of time out of your busy schedule. Join us here on Chatter from the Cheap Seats.
Yeah, man. No, I appreciate it. Um, it was fun coming on here. We'll definitely have to do it again. Oh, for sure. Thank you very much. And until next time, for Brian Luisi and Gordy Gundager, I'm Josh Rebin. This was Chatter from the Cheap Seats. Mm -hmm.